listening to the Retail Razor Show, where your expert hosts and their guests cut through the clutter in retail and retail tech to shape the future of retail. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Whatever time of day you're listening, welcome. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 9 of the Retail Razor Show. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar, a Rethink Retail Top Retail Influencer and Lead Partner Marketing Advisor for retail and consumer goods at Microsoft. And I'm your co-host, Casey Golden, CEO of LuxLock. Obsessed with the customer relationship between the brand and the consumer, I've spent my career on the fashion and supply chain technology side of the business. Now, I slay Frankenstacks. So Casey, this is a truly momentous episode for us. We finally are launching our Retail Transformers series. Yeah, I'm actually quite thrilled. We've been talking about how there are so many people in retail right now that are really changing how we look at the business, how we're operating, and what we need to do next, and so much more. This is such an exciting time for this industry, and they are true transformers in every sense. In fact, one might say they are truly more than meets the eye. <laughs> that was smooth. Yeah, I'm pretty skilled at that, actually. So you can give, me, give me any small moment to work in a cool 80s pop culture reference. I am all in on that. I'm sure the appreciation will make it into the comments. Anyway, let's <laughs> talk about our amazing... <laughs> First interviewee, April Sabral. April is absolutely amazing, as listeners will find out in this episode. She's really transforming how retail leadership is evolving. Uh, April's got a, such a wonderful perspective on how retail teams should be managed, how people should be treated, and so much to say about what leadership looks like for a modern retailer. 100%. I mean, I really can't think of a more important conversation to be having right now. So let's cut through the clutter and get right to the interview. So kick back or keep your eyes on the road and listen to our session with April Sabral, founder and CEO of Retail U, online leadership training for retail managers and author of the book, The Positive Effect, Retail Leader's Guide to Changing the World. Welcome to the show, April. It's great to have you here. And we've been planning for this for some time. I'm so glad to finally make it happen. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. April, absolute pleasure. Just to get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you're focused on now? What brought you to this this moment? And how do you see your role transforming leadership in retail? Yeah, so I'm the founder and CEO of Retail U, which is an online leadership learning platform for field operators. After having a 30-year career in retail, working through the stores, all the different ranks, all the way up to a vice president, just really found an opportunity to build affordable leadership development. And what I'm focused on now is really helping leaders transform their leadership in this new era of empathy and compassion and connecting with people. And so I've been focused on, you know, getting retail you out there along with the book that I just wrote, introducing a new leadership methodology that I've used over my 30 year career. And so I'm coaching and teaching that out and doing a lot of leadership development coaching right now. That's great. I actually ordered it. I haven't read it yet, but we brought it over to like our, our head of talent and really super excited to, to, to read. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've been oh, in the God. midst of reading it myself and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I'm finding a lot of really interesting nuggets. So I'm, I'm going to be popping a few of those in as we, as we go to get more details from you because you know, you've, you've had such a really interesting journey. I find just from reading the experience you describe in the book from all the various retail roles that you've had, you know, like you said, just starting from 
front lines in the store all the way to being your VP and heading up stores. And you mentioned a number of really valuable lessons uh, that you learned along the way, and it's particularly around managing people in retail. So I'd really love for you to kind of tell us a little bit about some of those and, and maybe think of what kind of advice would you give to other retail employees on, on how to build their retail career and really growing into one of those retail management roles? Well, I think that, you know, along the way, certainly when I started off in retail, I didn't think of it as a career choice, right? I share a lot about that in the book. It was like a part-time job that I got when I was right, 17, right. moving out of home. And it just, you know, started providing me a way to, to pay for my bills and look after myself when I was younger. And so, however, you know, I think that I was very fortunate because I worked for a huge brands back in the day at pivotal times for them when they were entering new markets. For example, like when Starbucks came to the UK and when the Gap came to the UK, I happened to be there and uh, was a part of that expansion. And then moving to the US with Starbucks and then to Canada with Banana Republic. So I do think I had great opportunities along the way. The one thing I would say about retail, or if you're a manager, or if you're not a manager and you're just a part-time salesperson, to really see it as an opportunity to build your people skills, because your people skills are life skills, right? In retail, we teach people life skills, like how to problem solve, how to have confidence in speaking to people, how to sell something even. Like, you know, in life, you've got to sell yourself every single day, whether you're in an, a job or whether you're an entrepreneur. So I think that there's just so many skills that you learn. And my journey along the way, I was fortunate. Like I said, I worked with those mega brands back in the day and they had really good leadership development programs back then. They were really invested in their people. This was before e-com came about. So it was a really big focus on talent. And so what I've learned along the way is that if you continue to grow, develop your skills and invest in yourself, then you will have a great career and you can move up the ranks and get compensated for it. You know, frontline employees always see it as a job as like it's not a great career choice because I think they're underpaid. But once you start moving into manager, multi-site and moving up, everything changes. So that's why I think it's a great career choice. And I also think that it's a huge career because you can move around the world with it. You know, it employs millions of people. So I think we need to start looking at it a little bit differently. And um, so I would say work hard, sign up for things. If there's different projects that you can get on or transformation happening within your organization, say yes. I did that a lot. Like I moved around a lot. I was willing to take risks and move to different countries even or different districts to just take on projects and get myself known. And I was always really good with people. And so that just really helped me. I was one of the easiest people to manage, I would say, and the easiest, a really easy person to get along with. And just, and that helped me deliver the results that they were asking of me. And so every time I moved up and took on more responsibility, the results would just keep growing. So yeah, you have to deliver results, but you have to do that through a team of people. 100%. Traditionally, it's pretty hard to make the jump from being on the floor in retail into corporate. Any advice there on how to make that swing? Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of us that have done that. Me and Ron talk about that all the time, and and how we can help that in our industry continue to build that because there's so many great people in the field. I think it's about building those relationships in advance. Like in the book, I talk about an experience when I first got promoted from a district supervisor into a director role. So that was. That first experience of going from like field leadership into working with corporate partners, 
And I had a lot of feedback given to me that wasn't super positive at the time. I had won sales results for the awards for the, you know, the four years leading up to that. So people saw me as very highly competitive and the team that I was going to assume didn't really want to work for me. So I had to take some humble pie, (laughs) take that feedback on. And then realized that the relationships that I had weren't just about the relationships with the people that reported into me, but really the relationships that I worked alongside with. And so if you want to get promoted and you want to be successful and work with your corporate partners, you need to have those relationships in advance so that you can influence the things you need to influence and you have the backing because now it's not just about your team in the field. You have this huge team of support in the office. But if you don't know how to build those relationships, guess what? They're not going to help you. They don't know what your job is. So I think just building those relationships and networking with them, just like you would on LinkedIn, right? Like network with your corporate partners and think about collaboration and and don't think like, what are they doing and why are they rolling this out to us and complain about them? Instead, see yourself as a conduit to kind of help them help you. And I think that's something that we really need to teach and build that bridge between the field and the head office. Yeah, one, one of the things I noticed you, you mentioned quite a bit in the book that maybe gets lost sometimes in this industry is that a lot of the roles are defined as sort of a sales leadership role. But you point out many times in the book that you really need to see yourself as a people leader, not just a sales leader. And I guess just based on what you just said, right, a lot of it has to do with how you interact with the people you're, you're leading and the, the teams that are in the field, as well as everyone around you, not just focusing on those sales performance numbers. Yeah, 100%. It's like, you know, we build relationships with our customers, right? Right. Why do we do that? Because we want to get money out of them and we want to have them coming back to us and feel good about the experience. And so it is, sales is a relationship-driven business. So if you want to sell your employees and get them to do something for you, for the organization, well, guess what? Then you need to have a really strong relationship with them because every employee wants to feel three things from their boss that they're cared for, that they could trust them, and that they, they're going to help them do their job better. And that only comes from a relationship. So I'm a very results-driven leader. And so I had to learn to kind of, you know, yes, the results really matter, but the results is an outcome of how you're leading your team. At the end of the day, people get up and come to work every day wanting to do a good job and for the person that they work for. And if they don't like the person they work for, good luck getting results out of them. It's just not going to happen. You think about that in your own life, right? Every time you've had a boss and you've loved them, you're like, oh, I love going to work. I want to do a good job. And when you have somebody that's just a pain, it just can control your life. So it really is about positive relationships. I can't say that enough. I always think of, do I want this person to win? Right? Mm. Because we all work together so much and it's so much of a back and forth that it's just like, you know, I want them to want me to win. But then at the same time, you want to work with people who you believe in and you want to win. And you genuinely will build that relationship and be like, how can I help you? Yeah. And it's funny, right? Because like when we talk about retail to other people, let's say I'm in a dinner party or I'm somewhere and there's not a lot of retail folks, they'll be like, well, you know, you just sell clothes, right? And I'm like, no, (laughs) no, no. We drive millions of dollars and like lead thousands of people and make an impact on their life every day, right? So... I think there's a misperception about what we do. Um, If you ask anybody in the field, nine times out of 10, why they love what they do in retail, especially at a leadership level, they always say it's the development of people because coaching really exists in the field 
teams because we're always coaching for performance, just like a basketball coach is coaching his team on the, on the court. It's the same idea. So I think we're very fortunate in the fact that coaching really does exist and people are really passionate about it. And, and that's why I say it's not just a sales business, right? It's a people business. Yeah, that's probably one of the most hidden things I think in retail, right? Is this aspect of coaching in the field that has always been there. I just, we don't talk about it enough uh, because we always focus so much on the selling. Mm-hmm, 100%. But if you think about sales floor leadership, most companies have floor leadership, sales floor leadership programs. Right. And it's all about coaching. That's coaching right. Yeah. The moment. yeah, absolutely. So obviously a lot of the focus in this book is really about positivity, both how you see your career goals and how you lead others in your organization. You talk about how leaders are in a position to foster creativity and imagination to develop new ideas, but you also kind of remind leaders that they don't have to act on every idea that their team presents, but they need to be acknowledged. This is an interesting point because I know that there are so many leaders that believe the opposite of this and they they don't have to embrace every idea in order to recognize the contribution of those team members. How do you coach leaders to embrace this approach? Because store teams can be quite large. There can be a yeah. lot of ideas. And it's not a very formal process of write down all of your ideas from all of these stores. And then I'm going to go <laughs> put, it in a, put it in a pivot file. Okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it is so much of just taking in all of this information and where do you, where do you feel like some, some great recommendations for uh, a, a manager today that is looking for those contributions? How would you recommend that they kind of extract that? I mean, there's, yeah, there's so, there's so many ways now. Like when I was at David's Tea, we had an app called Nudge, right? And so that was a way for field employees to kind of write everything down and give feedback. And at the office, we could see it like, like real time because we would ask questions about things and they would provide their feedback. So I think there's lots of technology that can help with that. I think the number one thing is like you said that people think that they have to embrace every idea and act on every idea to make people feel acknowledged. I don't agree with that because the thing is, there'll be really great ideas floating around out there. And some of them, that's just, you know, I just can't do that. Maybe it's like the, the budget's not there or you just don't have the time to do it because you can't focus on 25 things and do it well, right? Like you can only focus on a few things and do it well. And so I think this idea of acknowledging what people are contributing in their ideas is very important because in the book, I talk about making every person feel valued on your team. And so to make somebody feel valued, they have to be seen and heard. It doesn't mean to say that you have to execute their strategy or their idea. That's not what most people are looking for. Most people are looking for just to feel, like I said, seen and heard. So just acknowledging that and saying, that's a really great idea and thank you so much, but maybe we'll park it and we'll bring it back out and we'll use it next time. And I think most people want transparency. The worst thing you can do is ask for a whole load of ideas, not use them and never acknowledge that they were given, right? So I think that leaders just need to have managerial courage. I think it's just being transparent with your team and not feeling pressured. But one of the biggest things that I coach on is leaders having that managerial courage to be able to be transparent with their team. Nobody likes conflict and nobody likes going into a conversation where conflict could occur, but it's not 
it's it's just human nature. We just don't like that. We kind of shy away from it. So they don't know how to deal with difficult conversations, right? If you think about people and performance management, it's the same kind of idea. But it it really isn't about that. It's just just acknowledge it. Like, thank you so much for that idea and acknowledging everybody's idea. But yeah, you, you get 150 ideas. There's no way you're going to be able to act on them. Yeah. You're going to have to pick a few that are going to work with that strategy at that time, right? Yeah. And, you know, like that reminds me, you mentioned in the book, you, you, your formula, so, so to speak, for, for this successful process, you call it your act model or accept, create, and teach, right? And you also talk about leading with awareness, which I think was a really critical point and uh, how you accomplish that. Can you kind of walk us through that model and tell us more about, you know, the importance of leading with awareness? Yeah. I mean... I'm a self-development junkie, right? My whole <laughs> life I have been focused on just self-development and reading self-help books. And what that has done for me has made me a very self-aware person. Like I know when I've messed up, you know, every boss I've ever had, they're like, we don't need to tell you what you've <laughs> not done right, because you actually know before somebody else tells you, because I'm very self-reflective. And so I think going back to leading people and building relationships, the more self-aware you are about how you contribute to that relationship in your communication, tone, connection, the better result you're going to get out of people because you're going to be paying attention, being mindful, being present. And that just comes again from my years of self-development. And so when I lead, that self-awareness is really important. And I filter it into this model because this is the way that I've led for over 25 years. And it incorporates, yes, my professional coaching training, if you like, but it also incorporates that mindful piece of being present through my self-development journey. So the first step, accept, is about being supportive and having no judgment and assumptions on people. This is one of the hardest things for leaders to do because we all judge people, right? There's so much training out there on bias now and inclusion and our natural ways that we do make assumptions and judgments on people. And it's simple things like the way somebody looks, the way somebody dressed, the way our sister treated us yesterday. Like there's so many things that we judge people on. But when you lead a team, it's really, really important that you help them feel supported and encouraged to be themselves. And all the stores I ever visited, every time I would ask a leader what makes them feel successful, it was always around when they felt they were showing up to work, being their whole self, and that their boss could see them and hear them. So that's what that pillar is all around. It really teaches leaders to look at their judgment, stop making assumptions, managing the moment and being present, and really accepting people for who they are. And then create is all around being responsible and responsible with your thinking and your envisioning, because I'm a big believer in the law of cause and effect <laughs> and yeah. manifesting things. Like, I know that sounds like a little bit of a spiritual idea and a bit hokey pokey, but honestly, it's like nothing is created until you think about it first. You think about a business, anything, you think about this business and you have to like mindfully envision it and then you put the plan in work, right? So create is all about how you create this in your business and thinking mindfully. I mean, I used to sit there on Monday mornings and kind of envision what I wanted my week to look like, my conversations to look like. I just watched actually the Serena Williams story over the weekend on a plane and I was watching her father and I was like, he was totally demonstrating create in action because he was like, there is no way my kids are going to fail. They're going to be the best tennis players. And it was the way that he showed up every day 
he just created that. So that's what that pillar teaches leaders. And I really think that that needs to be talked about more in business. I think entrepreneurs get it a lot. And then teaches really about being selfless and being a mentor and a coach. So if you take a coach approach to leadership, you'll always be passing on knowledge and you'll always be teaching people and it will make you less frustrated because so many leaders I work with, they're like, I told that person that and why aren't they doing it? And I'm thinking, well, did you actually coach them on their performance and did you actually help them understand and train them? And so those are the three pillars wrapped up. And so I, I kind of look at it as like, it's a way of being. That's why I say it's leading with awareness because if you can have more awareness of what your contribution is, you'll have a very highly engaged team. Yeah, I think that's really spot on. I'm sure we've all been in large corporate organizations where it seemed like the upper tiers of management felt that the, the their obligation was to reward their best performers by just deciding to turn them into managers and leaders in the organization, but never actually giving them the tools or, or the methodology on how to actually lead a team. I, I think they, they kind of assumed that, well, if they could manage a project, they could manage a group of people. And that's not always the case, right? It's not an automatic thing if you don't take into account all the different points you just mentioned, April. I think that's a really great way to, to frame that. Mm, yeah. And like, you normally in retail, it's like usually the best salesperson on the sales floor that gets promoted, right? And then right. now all of a sudden they right. have like five, <laughs> 10 people yeah, right, and yeah. it's not going so well. And then your top yeah. performer is not your top performer and anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's just this, and, and the management chain just assumes that because they hit the numbers so well that they can automatically lead everyone else in doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Where are you guys working? <laughs> uh, I, you get top sales and like, well, we can't take you off the floor. I'm like, let me create 20 of my, me, but yeah. we can't take you off the floor. You do too much in sales. No, I mean, I think that's great. I mean, we have all had great managers and we've all had learning experiences from not so great managers, but I think, I think there, there's something to be said that retail is so many people's first job. And That's this true. is really like that building block of you're, you're essentially installing work ethic and process for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And also you're giving somebody, and this is another thing, right? I have a 24 year old, 24 year old daughter and she was sharing a story with me and Ron about her first retail job and how terrible it was her experience because of her boss. Right. And me and him were like cringing at lunch because we were like, oh, this is so many people's story. And the thing is, we're trying to fuel retail with newer leaders because we need them because bricks and mortar are not going away. And one of the big gaps now is that middle management. And so it starts off with your first job. I was 17 when I got my first job in retail and I had a great boss. And so it sets the tone, right? And so that, you know, it's so important. Like you said, it's the first time somebody's having a first experience of having a boss and a work environment. And we need to really take responsibility for that and help our managers, first time managers that are like 20, 21, you know, managing an 18 year old. How are they doing that? You know, like right. we really need to help them with that. Yeah, yeah so I, I agree. And, and if that manager feels like that there is communication and there is way to move up in the company, they're less likely to push down to keep right. people from taking, you know, they, they don't feel like they have. So it really gives you that position of leadership to, to inspire your team. I loved like my team, like being a manager to like, I had 17 year olds, 16, like 17 year olds. And it's just one of my favorite retail experiences because I got to be their first boss. Mm -hmm. I still talk to these people almost like 18 years later 
And they're like, Casey, like you inspired me to get in the fashion industry. And like, they're like an SVP like Nike now. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm proud of you. <laughs> no, it's so great, right? It does. It opens up that whole world of like whatever they're doing and wherever they go, you get to be that moment in somebody's mind of their first work experience. And you get to be that first amazing boss that they've ever had or you get to be that pain point that changes their perspective of leadership even moving forward for years potentially that is your first moment yeah and it really and it sets that, that first impression is so strong especially when you think about that, that age groups we're talking about and, and, and we had this come up in in one of our previous episodes where we talked with i think ron was in that discussion in, in fact with uh, gotham from the george mason university retail center and he even pointed out or when he first asked students in one of his classes, you know, who here has a retail job and, you know, lots of students raised their hands. Yeah, they had, they were in a retail job. And then he, when he asked them, how many of you plan on pursuing a retail career? And all the hands went down because they all had a bad first impression and most likely because of what their experience was. And if we don't do something to change that experience and what's going to motivate people to pursue the, a career in this industry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this kind of brings us back to, you know, you might say it's the reason we're having this conversation today and why the show exists and, you know, some a lot of the motivation behind your book. We're experiencing a movement in retail around changing how frontline staff is treated, both by the customer, but more importantly, just by retailer management teams and where they sit into an organization. I mean, we've had these conversations with Ron Thurston, who we're We've all had, I mean, everybody adores him because it does. We all have that shared experience, right? Of having that first retail job that we're able to build a lot of these things off of. When retailers think and, and talk about wanting to change these behaviors, the initial why, right? That, that initial why. And because my initial why for my company was the people who I worked with on the floor, I saw that they were hurting and I wanted to help them. And that was, that was back in 2007. And it's kept me motivated to continue trying to build this solution to make sure that retail staff has a thriving career. And, and I'm not even on the floor anymore, right? I mean, we go through all of these different moments. Do you agree that like maybe by seeing that transformation of how frontline workers are treated on their jobs, do you agree with this, this whole conversation and this movement, like just really realigning that focus? on making sure that that experience is is a positive one? Oh yeah, 100%. It should have always been a positive one. I just think that the investment in people got shifted to e-com in the last seven years, because that's where all the money went into building your e-com, your channels, trying to figure out that whole customer journey. And so leader, like development of teams is kind of been put in pause. Like there's a lot of companies that don't have proper onboarding programs for managers right now. And so I think that has to come back around. Pay is a big thing, you know, advocating for pay and like different incentive programs because comp sales, the traditional way of looking at comp doesn't incentivize people anymore because the, the sales have shifted the mix of the channels where it's coming from. So I just think there's many different components that go into it. But one of the easiest things to do is just give your team training and development. So everybody wants, you read any exit interview and the top two reasons why people leave is I'm not growing in my career and the person I work for isn't helping me. So it's just like, that's just something that can change an environment. And the clients that retail you that have implemented the online leadership programs are seeing 
that in the surveys from the staff, like from just having that coaching and leadership development for people, it gives them something additional that is not very expensive, but it's a very easy thing to do to shape that environment. So let's say if we were thinking about what are what are a handful of things that we might be seeing on the transformation of this culture change, because it's it's a huge culture change in the organization from like a corporate corporate side from my my perspective. We're looking at different compensation strategies, training and development. Do you foresee anything else like that stands out that you feel is is going to adjust over the next, let's say, two to five years when it comes to retail staff and how that that really works? I mean, I think they need to, retail needs to embrace bringing on more coaches. I'm a leadership development coach, right? I'm a Forbes leadership development coach now. And I think that because we assume that we're such a high coaching, high touch environment in the stores, which we are, but at that middle level from district supervisor to director, that's where the gap is right now. And I think that a lot of organizations bring on coaches. Retailers don't really bring in people from the outside as coaches. So what I'm doing now is working with that middle level and to help make a difference and kind of succession planning people up. So I do think that we need to embrace that more and realize that you may have a leader like a VP or a director, but maybe they do need a leadership development coach to help them actually develop their team and succession plan and help their leadership. And I hope that that's embraced more because it's not something I was ever provided. I had to go and seek that myself outside of the organization that I worked for. So I'm really hoping that that gets embraced more because what I'm excited about the future is new leadership coming into those senior spots. Like a lot of us now, some of us, have we, we've done it and we've been through it, but how do we get the next level up into these seats? Because they're going to be the leaders of the organizations in the next 10 years. And that's going to really shape it. I really want them to be the leaders over the next 10 years. You know, it's such being somebody who spent, you know, a, a good portion of my initial career on the floor. There's so much that you learn that you want to take and do good with at corporate and being able to just even know that you can have a future, that it doesn't have to end with that, that store. I think it's just really, really important. Yeah, we really should be able to say that, you know, today's frontline workers are tomorrow's retail leaders. Right. Because they have all the built-in the built-in experience. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah, even indirectly, right? Yeah. So April, along those lines, and if you look at, you know, Casey asked you about the next two to five years, I'm gonna be a little closer to to near term. Like over the next year, what what are you most excited about when it comes to retail leadership? What do you think is most likely to to change for the better? Ooh, what am I most excited about? That more people get retail U programs because <laughs> people seem to be finding it now and embracing it. And I think it's a really good way to develop teams. And I just think, like I said, like more middle, like that more of that field leadership moving into additional roles. There's a lot of head of store roles posted right now, by the way, mm-hmm. the most I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. A lot of director roles. So I think we've come through a massive shift in the last couple of years. A lot of people left those roles and those careers because of what was going on and, and opted to do something else. So I think there's a big opportunity now for that management to move up and really take those seats. So that's what I'm really excited about, just seeing new leadership and new ideas and a new generation coming into that talent pool. How would you suggest someone wanting to go ahead and start taking the first step? Do you see that first step at corporate? Do you see it at that 
district level. Yeah. One of the things I'm working on right now with a few leaders is just development planning sessions. So what does that actually look like? Because back in the day when I was at Starbucks and I was at Gap right before in e-com and all of that came about, we had individual development planning sessions with competency base and we had it on paper and we had these two things that we had to focus on. And I think that's really disappeared. So I think if you were going to start um, wanting to grow in your career, you need to start tapping on your boss's shoulder and being like, okay, I need a plan, not an action plan to drive your sales, but a personal development plan. And if you don't have one, there is so many tools out there you could go and get one because if you, somebody said to me a long time ago, if you leave your career in the hands of somebody else, you're going to be waiting for somebody else to promote you. So, you know, I took it upon myself, like that whole self-development journey, right? to read books about leadership, to watch TED Talks, to put a plan on paper for my own personal development, my competencies that would help me drive my business. And FYI is an amazing book that I use with a lot of leaders. But I just think the development planning session, like what are the two things that April's going to work on this quarter to become better at my job that's going to impact the results? Is it my communication? Is it my managerial courage? Is it how to have performance conversations? What is it? And if you don't have that on paper right now, and you're in a, in a leadership role and you want to grow, you need to make sure that you have that. And unfortunately, that lacks skill in a lot of organizations. So I find myself doing that with leaders. And once they've left it, they're like, and I'm doing it with their boss and them. So usually it's like a district manager with a director and I'm sitting with them and we're assessing what they need to do to do the job. And, and they walk away going, man, I have a plan. And six months later, people get promoted. Like, all the time. So I'm really good at promoting people in succession planning. It's because I focus on their development of skill, right. not just not just the action plan that need to drive the results of the operational things, let's say. You know, it needs to be the people side as well. Well, and then we'll also start with reading your book, right? Yeah. <laughs> but start A the conversation. Start. Be passive aggressive, <laughs> drop it on some these tabs. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, and that's why I launched the second book, the Live Purposely, Lead Positively Workbook, because so many people read that book and they were like, but how do I actually turn this into mm. a development plan? I'm like, let me give you one. <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly. Now there's a workbook with 15 activities that you can do to develop those skills, right? Oh, that's great. I, I'm, I'm a fan of workbooks. Well, April, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, it's been such a pleasure hearing about your your retail experience, your, your journey, everything that you're doing now with Retail You, and we probably haven't said it enough that our listeners should all run out and get a copy of your book if they haven't already, because uh, there's so much fantastic advice and, and ideas on, on how to just improve your own retail career as well as how you lead others. So how can listeners reach out to you, April, you know, learn more about Retail You or, or just follow your work? Yeah, so retailyoulikeuniversity.ca, that's the website. So you can go on, check out everything that's going on there. And then I have my own, which is aprilsabral.com, but you can find that through Retail You. Or just connect with me on LinkedIn. And I always usually respond to people pretty fast. So that's where you can find me. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you again for joining us. I'm excited. Everybody's going to be reading your book. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back, everyone. Well, Casey, I would be surprised if this doesn't end up being one of our most popular episodes so far. I mean, April's background and experience is so much to offer retail leaders just to make themselves better, you know, better at running their business and most importantly, better at leading their teams. 
100%. We can't recommend enough that if you're leading retail teams, you need to get a copy of April's book and really absorb what she's saying. You'll see the difference. Yeah. You know, Casey, you've led retail teams before and you mentioned in the session kind of how your philosophy around managing those teams aligns with April's. So what, what would your top tip be for retail leaders? Is it pretty much the same as what April said? Yeah, I could have stolen April for the entire show. There is a lot of overlap, <laughs> but I think a skill that that lacks in management is learning how to be an advocate for change. We have a lot of incredible talent on regional levels but find a disconnect at corporate. April provides some great tools to be a good steward, not just from management and going downstream to their teams, but being able to develop those managers to be a good steward of getting that information and managing upstream. It's always been a gap, even professionally, moving from the field to corporate. The information flow and continuity is no different. So managing up, I think is a huge opportunity for a lot of different like HQs, corporate to benefit from talent that they've been developing for years. Yeah, that's a great point. April definitely had a lot to say about that and see what you mean about that gap. I think we've all, if we've worked with retailers, have seen the differences between what's happening in the field with store teams versus what corporate's point of view is on that and necessarily is it the same point of view? So there's definitely an opportunity there in that upstream direction to get the information flow right, to really manage that part of the process so that everyone is getting the right learnings uh, from those field teams. And I think April does a really good job too of highlighting that in, in the book and in her Retail You program on how to really set up those leaders for success to really understand who it is they're leading. I remember many times where it was a weekly conference call, but we didn't have the ability to talk. We just listened. <laughs> right. Every right. single yeah. person's phoning in to listen. You yeah. know? So I think there's a huge yeah. opportunity here that April highlights. Yeah. And I think you mentioned this too, and April talks about it. You know, when I just remember being in those store teams, and when you'd hear that message would come through, oh, there's going to be a call with corporate has to review something, or, or one of these other higher up regional managers is doing a store visit, and everybody kind of panics. That that's coming and you really shouldn't have to do that, right? That shouldn't happen. It should not be such a massively stressful thing when somebody from corporate or one of the regional or like a VP or somebody comes through to the store team, it, you know, it, it should just be a normal mode of operation, right? Because if everything is going well, then you shouldn't have to worry about it. And I think the way April kind of positions this as a, as a leadership tool, you know, it, it makes a difference. You know, there's that level of understanding that has to be there. I agree. I think we have such an opportunity over the last couple of years that the frontline workers have been highlighted and what these jobs feel like and how they're being led. And then we have this great resignation happening right. as well. And it is a hard job, but it's filled with a lot of passionate people that are highly skilled. And, and I have to say, most of them are overeducated. I know a lot of people with master's degrees that are on sales floors at, in mm -hmm, retail right. brands. They have right. master's degrees. They're fully yeah. qualified to have a voice. They need the opportunity and some refreshers on some tools on getting that management, you know, up management, upstream management, right. to exactly. have those voices heard. There's a lot of benefits. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I, I really hope this episode helps listeners in those retail management positions, especially those that are managing store teams, right? Understand how important they are, not just to the, the role they're filling, but to that overall employee experience. Hopefully they'll take away some useful lessons from what we talked about with April. And as you say, Casey, you got to go out and, and get a copy of April's book. I think everyone can in this industry can stand to learn quite a bit from it.
Yeah. Sometimes you have to step back from the tech and realize we're all only human and recognize how you lead, how we're managing people is just as important to the business as anything else we do operationally or with technology. 100% agree with that. And on that note, Casey, I think it is time to wrap up this episode. Once again, we'll want to give a, a big thank you out to April Sobral for spending some time with us and sharing her experience and knowledge. Thanks again, April. We look forward to having you back on the show. And that's a wrap. If you enjoy our show, please consider giving us that special five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Remember to smash that subscribe button in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a minute. Want to know more about what we talked about today? Take a look at the show notes for handy links and more deets. I'm your co-host, Casey Golden. And if you'd like to learn more about us, follow us on Twitter at KCC Golden and Ricardo underscore Belmar, or find us on LinkedIn. Be sure and follow the show on LinkedIn, on Twitter at Retail Razor, and on our YouTube channel for videos of each episode and the occasional bonus content. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. Thanks for joining us. And remember, there's never been a better time to be in retail if you cut through the clutter. Until next time, this is The Retail Razor Show.